Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hello, friends and neighbors. Welcome back to the Bill Press Pod infrastructure. It's a big word. It's a magic word. The one issue that always promised to unite Republicans and Democrats. And at one time, it did. In 2016, Bernie Sanders promised to spend $1 trillion on infrastructure, and so did Donald Trump. Of course, the Donald never did anything about it in the White House. So now that Joe Biden is actually trying to do something real about infrastructure, a $2 trillion American jobs plan, You'd think that Republicans and Democrats would both rush to embrace it. But haha, don't hold your breath. Instead, Republicans have resorted to an almost silly dispute over how to define infrastructure. What's truly infrastructure and what's not? Roads and bridges, yes, but what about the electric grid or childcare? Well, to get a clear picture of what's in President Biden's plan and how it fits the definition of infrastructure in the 21st century, there is no better source than Jared Bernstein, who joins us today on the Bill Press Pod. Bernstein was chief economic advisor to Vice President Joe Biden in the Obama White House, and he now serves as one of President Biden's top economic advisors and a member of the White House Council of Economic Advisors. Jared Bernstein, good to see you. Thanks so much for joining us here on the Bill Press Pod. I'm really pleased to be invited and looking forward to chatting. Thank you so much. So uh, I'm curious, the president gets a daily briefing, an intelligence briefing every day. How often does he get a briefing on the economy? I believe it's a weekly uh, briefing in terms of uh, economists sitting in the Oval. Uh, but we're in touch every day on economic matters, including this morning, uh, where the president wanted to hear about a couple of reports that came out, including uh, unemployment claims and retail sales. So uh, trust me, he is uh, extremely interested in making sure his economics team is keeping our fingers on the economy's pulse, uh, with particular reference to how uh, our policies are playing out. And if he were on this uh, conversation, part of this conversation, and he asked you, how would you score the economy? How are we doing today? What would you tell him? Yeah, I would tell him that uh, some of the measures that uh, have uh, his fingerprints on them uh, and some of the measures that we hope will uh, in, in, in good time uh, be legislated, um, they're uh, important. They're having an impact. Uh, and uh, particularly if you look at uh, the impact of the checks, um, as part of the questions I was just telling you about, uh, I checked in with the Treasury and um, got information about uh, you know well over 150 million checks out, uh, uh, accounting for uh, over $300 billion, and that we saw that reflected in the retail sales. 
So I think the uh, the important kind of focus there would be that uh, this recovery is definitely underway, uh, but it's, 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 as he's always said, it's a function of getting the virus behind us. Uh, that is uh, occurring uh, in no small part because of the logistics and organization around the uh, rescue plan, uh, virus prevention control, and of course, distribution of the vaccine. Uh, but we've got a long way to go. Uh, and uh, there, are, there are still uh, almost 17 million claims being made on unemployment insurance. That's highly elevated. There's over 8 million jobs still not there from pre-crisis levels. So, so we've got a way to go, but we're moving there in the right direction with some alacrity. You've already, you indicate you've already seen some direct impact positively from the um, stimulus package. Um, do you anticipate a post-pandemic bounce? Um, let's say once we reach herd immunity and really start to open up? Well, this is very much the most common anticipation among uh, every forecast I've seen. Just this morning, I was looking at some of the most updated forecasts and saw estimates for the first and second quarter that suggest a growth rate in the first half of the year of real GDP somewhere in the neighborhood of, say, 6 to 7%. Now, oh. of course, that's well above trend. And uh, it is a function of a number of factors, some of which we've mentioned. First of all, uh, the bounce back from, of course, the very deep pandemic-induced recession, uh, the impact of the American Rescue Plan is firmly in the mix there. We have uh, well over $300 billion in checks out the door. We have uh, a, a vaccination a curve that has been increasingly steep, and that's helping people feel more confident about re-engaging with commerce. There's lots of pent-up savings. Some of that also comes from uh, relief packages as well. So all of this is expected to fuel a significantly above-trend growth rate. But I have to be very clear about this point, Bill. From, from President Biden's perspective, of course that's important, of course it's welcomed, and of course we'll be touting it. But unless those growth rates, and unless the uh, economy uh, is reaching folks who heretofore have been left behind, the folks in the bottom leg of the K and what's been a K-shaped recovery, you know, he will be very unsatisfied. So our measures are being sure to target those uh, folks, often in communities of color, who have, haven't benefited enough from economic growth in, in recent years and even recent decades. So with the American Rescue Plan, uh, passed and we're seeing the impact of it. The focus now really shifts to uh, what you're calling the American Jobs Act. Um, first, tell us how important is this to um, economic recovery? Uh, I cannot underscore enough how important this is, uh, not just to economic recovery, it's important to that, but to the sustainability, to the resilience, to uh, how robust uh, not just the next economic expansion is, but the one after that. Uh, this is a bold, it is a once-in-a-generation investment in, in creating uh, good-paying jobs, yes, but also laying the foundation for growth for, uh, for years to come. Uh, that that requires uh, investments in areas of 
what economists call public goods in our economy that have been disinvested in for decades. Clean energy, broadband, uh, an electric grid that we saw you know, fail tragically uh, in Texas recently. Um, water that doesn't allow lead to leach into the bodies of our kids. Modernizing schools, childcare buildings, ports, airports, rail. That's just you know a broad-based 30,000 feet up uh, view of uh, the importance of the jobs plan. And when you see, uh, do, do, can you anticipate a number of jobs might be created, let's say if the entire package were approved? Yeah, the, uh, the group Moody's.com, uh, um, they did an estimate of precisely that. Uh, the impact of the rescue plan and the jobs plan. And they found, and by the way, this is important, this also accounts for underlying job growth that we'd expect in what economists call the baseline. So you're gonna get some job growth just based on, on that alone and put it all together and they predict uh, 19 million jobs uh, over the next decade. Now again, some of that's the baseline, some of that's the rescue plan, some of that's the jobs plan. Uh, but uh, if you look at the last year in there, so just to give you a little more detail, you look at 2030, 3 million of those jobs are assigned to the American jobs plan. And I guess this gets to a broader philosophical question, doesn't it, about how to create jobs. I mean, uh, the Republican Party um, ideal, I guess, has always been we give tax breaks to the big corporations, um, tax breaks to the millionaires and the billionaires. And then that money trickles down and creates jobs. Um, this plan, as I read it, seems to be saying just the opposite. The way to create jobs is public investment. Right. I think that the more you depend on trickle down versus direct public investment, uh, the fewer uh, jobs you'll create, and, and particularly from the perspective of middle and lower income working Americans. Uh, the trickle-down experiment, uh, which we've seen time and time again, um, has consistently failed to have uh, virtually any of its advertised effects. Um, probably uh, the most important example for us right now is the prediction that the Trump tax cuts would significantly juice business investment. Uh, that was part of the, 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 the sale there. And the idea was that they would, they would bump up business investment, which would trickle down to productivity, which would trickle down to workers' wages. And uh, that, that, the, that, that first link in that chain, investment, business investment, just wasn't there. We've consistently rejected um, any kind of trickle-down philosophies in favor of A, uh, more direct public investment of the type we've been talking about, but B, um, making sure that uh, the wealthy and corporate America have benefited most from economic growth in recent years pay their fair share in order to help finance these public investments that are so critical to the lives and communities of working Americans. Um, and the American Jobs Plan, uh, Act, also um, also known as the Infrastructure Plan, um, I, I've heard the president speak about this. Where does the United States rank among developed countries in terms of uh, infra in keep maintaining and improving uh, our infrastructure? Yeah, not not nearly high enough. Uh, I've seen uh, numbers like thirteen in the rankings, uh, and. Uh, 
that is uh, a, a very important motivator uh, for the president. If you if you look at the share of, of GDP going for innovation, going for public investment, uh, you see that uh, that's really fallen quite steeply over these years of disinvestment that I've been uh, complaining about in our discussion thus far. And that is something uh, the American Jobs Plan is, is pointedly designed to reverse. The president likes to talk about how in many of these areas, China's been out investing us. That's not an acceptable ranking to him. Uh, I've also seen where you are looking at um, uh, basically doing a scorecard, a report card for the states in terms of uh, their investment. Um, are you up to date on that? And what are some of the states that are the worst or some of the be the best? I'm not up to date on that, on the individual states. I've seen the scorecard uh, that uh, uh, we have cited from the uh, American Society of Civil Engineers, and that uh, gives our infrastructure something like a C or a C minus. And again, uh, an unacceptably low grade for uh, what we, uh, uh, an unacceptably low grade for uh, for the U.S. economy, uh, what uh, an economy that needs to be uh, the most invested in, in the world. Right. So following uh, the discussion, uh, as I have just in the news on the American Jobs Act, it seems there are two big questions. What's in it? And two, uh, how do we pay for it? So let's talk about each of those. First, what's in it? Um, there's a lot more in it than most people would define as classic infrastructure. Would you agree? Certainly, if the definition of infrastructure is roads and bridges and potholes, uh, we go much further than that. Because in our view, investing in infrastructure means investing in any structure that improves the lives of working Americans. Uh, so for example, you know, I've, I've had Republicans say in debates that I've uh, been engaged in that um, you know, they're talking about pipes as, as problematic and un, under this definition. Um, well, first of all, pipes are pretty classical infrastructure, but you have to recognize that we're talking about the fact that 400,000 schools and childcare centers have lead exposure in their water. That is a dramatically failing element of America's infrastructure. Broadband, you've had some folks say, how can broadband be infrastructure? Well, first of all, broadband quite closely fits the definition I just gave you, a structure missing from the lives of more than 30 million Americans who have limited or no internet access who need it in order for their kids to get educated and for them to engage in our economy. And so that to us is classically infrastructure, modernizing schools, childcare buildings, ports, airports, rail, all of those are parts of the jobs plan, and all of those fit, I think, very neatly under the president's definition, broad as we like it uh, to be, uh, of infrastructure. Uh, the one, uh, in addition to the ones that you you mentioned, uh, the one that I hear, um, uh, and again, we know that Mitch McConnell called the Jobs Act uh, a Trojan horse. He said it was a, a slush fund for unrelated bad ideas. Uh, but the the one that I hear people talking most about uh, that may not fit is four hundred billion dollars for home health care. Um, how do you how do you squeeze that into infrastructure? I will definitely speak to that. It's a fair question. Let me first say though about some of the political complaints. So I read in the paper the other day that uh, our uh, transportation secretary, Secretary Buttigieg, said, and I quote, "My phone is ringing off the hook." 
And what he was talking about was people calling him from both sides of the aisle, Democrats and Republicans, from Capitol Hill, talking to him about projects that they need. And Mitch McConnell himself has been talking about the importance of a, of a bridge in his, uh, in his district. So, so you know, one has to be, I think, mindful of some of the politics that gets played around this. I think it's also critical to recognize how well these measures are polling, not just among Democrats, these kinds of investments. Now, I'm not talking about checks to households. Those polled really well, too, as you'd expect. I'm yeah. talking about the jobs plan, the infrastructure plan. Okay. One of the, I, I mentioned that investing in structures that will uh, improve the lives of working Americans. One structure that's missing in this uh, in this economy, uh, economists call it a missing market, meaning a sector in the economy that just isn't there and needs to be, is in the childcare sector. Uh, we simply don't have the childcare infrastructure in place, whether it's people or places, that will enable working parents to safely get to work and to able to be able to access and afford quality childcare. So I completely justify that investment as part of the American Jobs Act. Uh, and the uh, 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 I guess it's called home health care or right, right. Sorry, you mentioned home health. Yeah, yeah, this is this is so this is the case for child care, but it's also the case for elder care, and uh, and that's where uh, the home health care comes in. Right. Uh, let's talk a little bit also about how we pay for it. But first, we're going to take a quick break here, uh, Jared, on the uh, on the Bill Press Pod. We're talking again with Jared Bernstein, who's a top economic advisor to President Biden and a member of the President's White House Council of Economic Advisors. A quick break, and we'll be right back. Today's podcast is brought to you by the International Brotherhood of Teamsters. The Teamsters are the largest and the most diverse of all of America's labor unions, 1.4 million members strong under the leadership of President Jim Hoffa. We think of Teamsters as truck drivers. Well, they are that, but there are a whole lot more. Uh, every branch of American labor, from vegetable workers in California to brewers in St. Louis, construction workers in Las Vegas, or bakery workers in Maine, or as they say, everybody from A to Z, members of the Teamsters, everybody from airline pilots to zookeepers. We salute the members of the Teamsters in the United States, Canada, and Puerto Rico. Uh, thank them for the support of the Bill Press Pod. Check out their website at teamster.org. <sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center thanks to Carvana it doesn't get any better than this your favorite seat's the best spot in the house make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes there really is no place like home and speaking of home Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. 
With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. And let's continue with today's Bill Press Pod. Our guest, a member of the White House Council of Economic Advisors and a top economic advisor to the president, uh, Jared Bernstein, a longtime good friend. Jared, the last time we talked was over at the Center for Budget and Policy Priorities. In, in Noma, as your office. Right, <laughs> right. I remember. It seems like 30 years ago, but it's probably a couple <laughs> months ago. Uh, it does. I, I noticed that um, one of the items in the American Jobs Act is reconnecting urban neighborhoods that were once really split apart uh, mm-hmm. by infrastructure in the past. A laudable goal. Um, how are you going to do that? We incentivize neighborhoods to reconnect through programs of grants, loans, and uh, uh, housing measures. Um, Some of the uh, housing support, I think, is some of the most um, important and underappreciated parts of the the jobs plan. Um, One of the aspects you mentioned is, uh, yes, um, highway infrastructure, for example, that broke neighborhoods apart. And that's something that uh, we can try to incentivize uh, neighborhoods to reconnect there. Um, Another is um, exclusionary zoning, which prevented uh, families, uh, disproportionately, of course, black and brown families, from being able to uh, reconnect, not just uh, with uh, each other and with uh, other families that they'd like to live uh, near, but also um, with better opportunity, uh, better uh, access to education, better access to commerce. And um, we introduce, uh, I think, a pretty innovative plan uh, by which uh, neighborhoods can uh, push back against exclusionary zoning laws. Uh, basically, they have to apply to uh, to uh, to the government with uh, an idea of how their plan is going to work and will help them uh, support that. Um, we also have a, a number of measures in here to improve the supply of affordable housing uh, so that not only can neighborhoods connect, but that they can rebuild. So uh, the whole plan has a $2 trillion, roughly a $2 trillion price tag. Uh, can we afford it? And how do we pay for it? I. Yes, we can afford it because we pay for it. So the plan, pay, the, the plan pays for uh, itself over over fifteen years uh, through a set of revenue raisers that target um, the corporate sector, the wealthy, taxpayers above four hundred thousand. So no taxpayers uh, with incomes below four hundred uh, k would be uh, hit with any of these proposed. Uh, revenue raisers. Um, the the important part of this, I think, is twofold. First of all, it pays for the plan, and I think infrastructure that has pay-fors is more sustainable. We've already done the experiment of what happens to infrastructure when we don't pay for it, when we continually just cut taxes, and of course, uh, it uh, deteriorates through uh, sy- systematic disinvestment. Um, So we're going to try to reverse that. But the other thing we're trying to do here is to really get some of the problematic and negative incentives out of our tax code. And to do so, 
by first raising the corporate tax rate from 21 to 28 percent, still uh, seven percentage points below where it was at 35 percent uh, back in uh, 2017, uh, but uh, back up to 28 percent. And then there are a, a set of uh, tax changes that um, try to end this race to the bottom uh, where uh, companies, particularly multinational companies, just uh, continue to outsource jobs and investment because that's what the tax code encourages them to do. Because of all this um, uh, kind of uh, international tax avoidance, which takes the form of booking your income, your profits in low tax countries, and mm -hmm. booking your deductible expenses in high tax countries so you can write them off at a higher rate because of those problems in tax shifting, stripping profits out of our tax system, we collect uh, only 1% of GDP in corporate taxation. That's, uh, that's uh, one third of the, the uh, OECD or other advanced economy average. And that, uh, that ratio you know, is, is, is unacceptably low. Uh, the average effective rate for these multinational corporations is only 8%. In other words, they're not paying their fair share. And so these tax changes pay for the infrastructure, get us closer to fair share taxation and uh, uh, hopefully reverse this race to the bottom. So I hear you say that while the uh, the rate officially is 21%, um, they're paying an average of 8%? Exactly. And that, that's a really important insight because one of the problems we've had in corporate taxation over our history is the divergence between uh, the statutory rate, meaning the you know 21 percent used to be 35 percent, the the rate that we write down on paper, and what companies actually pay, uh, they they uh, pay far less because of all these loopholes and avoidance measures, including uh, international profit shifting of the type I just described. Right. So uh, it's interesting. I find that uh, today the um, America's corporate leadership. Um, has come out united on two fronts. On the one hand, they're united in um, opposition to the voter suppression bills that we've seen pop up in some 43 states, particularly in the state of Georgia. On the other hand, they're united uh, in public, outspoken opposition to um, your plan to raise taxes from 21 to 28 percent. They say this is going to kill the economy and destroy any chance of an economic post a pandemic economic recovery. Um, what, what's your response to that? I think it's actually something that I mentioned a few weeks ago in our conversation. There were very um, effusive claims made about how cutting the corporate tax rate from 35 to 21%, which is what happened in the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, the so-called Trump tax cuts at the end of 2017, um, none of which occurred. And this was the idea that uh, if we cut taxes on companies, which of course these same companies <laughs> very loudly applauded at the time, which I understand. I mean, it's you know I, I understand what they're 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 talking about their bottom line here, so I get it. Um, but I think what matters from the president's perspective is how this is going to affect American investment, American growth, and most importantly, American workers. And those investments did not materialize. In fact, the tax cuts to the corporate sector 
uh, those, you know, that, that very large decline in the rate showed up mostly in corporate buybacks and dividends. That is, they boosted the share price and they paid out dividends, which disproportionately accrued to the top one or two percent of wealth holders. So th this is this is really just trickle down economics. And given that that massive cut did not reflect itself in the kind of investment and productivity and wage gains that, that they used to sell it, uh, we're confident that uh, an increase that's considerably smaller than that will not have the negative effects that uh, these some of these businesses are arguing now. And in fact, to the contrary, uh, we believe they're going to be pro-growth by making the public investments in ports, in infrastructure, in rail, in, uh, in the grid, in uh, water systems, in schools, in childcare centers that are going to help uh, build a workforce that's healthier and more productive going forward. But couldn't you also point out that uh, under the Obama administration, where you, where you were the chief economic advisor to Vice President Joe Biden, uh, when the corporate tax rate was at 35 percent, the economy did pretty well, and these corporations were doing pretty well, too. Oh, no question. I mean, I think that the last part of what you said is, is, is for me the most important, which is if you simply look at the profitability of American corporations, uh, it's been very high for very long. And um, the reason, one reason for that is that uh, so few paid that top statutory rate of 35%, as we've discussed a minute ago, and just repeating a number I said before, because I think it's so consequential. If you look at the effective tax rate of our, of our multinational corporation, and, and just to be clear, the effective tax rate is the one you want to focus on because that's the share of the profits, the share of the income that they're remitting to the Treasury that they're paying in taxes. That share uh, is 8 percent. OK, so that's that's lower than what some middle class you know, people who are struggling to get ahead pay. Um, so we, we really have to tighten up our tax code. And that's one of the goals of the American Jobs Act. Quinnipiac is out with a new poll. Uh, I, I think most Americans don't really understand uh, everything that's in the American Jobs Act, but asked um, whether they supported it or not at this point, the uh, response was 44% in favor, 38% against. When they were told that this would raise corporate taxes, Jared, um, the numbers came out to 53% for it and 39 against. So, <laughs> Yeah, I think one of the things that um, people who study uh, taxation and, and the public's relation to it will tell you is that the average person, and this I know to be a fact, um, is not pouring over the American tax code in, in the level of detail that even we've been discussing here. And that's completely understandable. What the average person thinks of when it comes to taxation, and, and by the way, I'm gonna put myself <laughs> in that category because it's what I think about too, and I'm a tax nerd, is fairness is fairness. And most people recognize that uh, not only has our tax system become less fair, uh, but it has consistently been and increasingly been tilted uh, towards benefiting not just those at the top of the income scale, but in many cases, companies that offshore investment and jobs uh, at great detriment to, uh, to our middle class. So fixing that, it's understandable that people are going to be supportive of that. Right. Um, so we've talked about the American Rescue Plan and the American Jobs Act. Uh, it's been it's reported also, uh, Jared, that the administration is also considering uh, a third stimulus package, if you will, um, for human infrastructure, 
also around the tune of $2 trillion, on education, childcare, and other social programs. Um, is that, in fact, down the road? And uh, is this the third installment, if you will, in the Biden economic recovery program? The president has talked about uh, the American Families Plan is coming next. I'm not going to lean into that because uh, one of the ways I keep my job is not getting ahead of the president. <laughs> so uh, I won't say much about that. I will say the following. I would not think of the jobs plan and the families plan, which is the latter being forthcoming, uh, as stimulus. Because I think of stimulus more in the sense of the relief plan, um, although even there I think of it more as relief than stimulus, as being temporary. Uh, a measure that sort of gets in and gets out of the economy quickly, often deficit financed. When we're talking about these uh, plans that are targeted at not just getting us to the other side of the crisis, so important and so critical to the American Rescue Plan's goals, not just getting us to the other side of the crisis, but ensuring that the next economic expansion, where we started our conversation with uh, what I think is going to be you know, significantly above trend growth rates in the first half of the year, that that expansion is robust, it's resilient, it's racially inclusive, it, 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 it's growth uh, actually uh, lifts the prosperity of families who have heretofore been left behind. It is robust and replete with a childcare sector that's accessible and affordable. It provides educational opportunities, training opportunities. It funds our infrastructure, our manufacturing. It provides uh, housing uh, uh, access in the way we discussed about uh, before, pushing back on exclusionary zoning. That Those are much more lasting investments uh, that I don't think of as stimulus. I think of them much more in, 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 the, um, in the investment bucket. You earlier used the word bold. Uh, and just hearing you describe um, there the American Jobs Act, when you look at... Um, the, the history of the American economy. Um, have we ever seen a, re a public investment program this big by any president? I think if you look at the uh, amount of resources that uh, we are trying to devote to public investment, the answer is, is no. I think if you look back at some um, uh, investments that were made during an era when investing in the uh, public goods of, uh, of the American economy was recognized as a much more important and integral factor to, uh, to economic growth, something that we've really forgotten. Joe Biden hasn't forgotten it, but I think lots of other folks have forgotten over, the, over recent decades. Um, uh, you could go back and you could look at um, you know, Eisenhower's uh, uh, highway system. Um, that was uh, a vision, and we can, you know, we can definitely talk about uh, how that vision has changed today with the importance of clean energy and moving to electric vehicles and emphasizing rail and other other types of transportation. But 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 taking that in the context of its period, it was a transformational in, uh, investment in uh, the public good side of our economy that uh, was uh, hugely uh, pro-growth in terms of uh, of uh, increasing um, the access for goods to uh, flow through commerce. Uh, and um, would you say this is a an FDR kind of um, move on the part of the president? I mean, I guess I think of it as a JRB move. Uh, that's um, Biden's initials. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, I think that um, 
but I, I, I yes, I mean, yes, in the sense that, um, yes, in actually a very fundamental sense, uh, in the sense that um, I think President Roosevelt looked out, saw an economy that was laid tremendously low by a sweeping, pervasive, massive market failure uh, that came in part by the excesses of a small group of wealthy uh, investors who recklessly took down you know, the economy. Uh, that's not what happened here, of course. That actually might be a better description of the, uh, of the Great Recession and the financial crisis there. Um, this, of course, was the pandemic. But I think the commonality is looking out there and seeing a structural deficiency in the way uh, the government uh, was interacting with the economy, uh, a deficiency that I would argue was very much amplified over the Trump years when I think economic policy was either ignored or reckless. And you know, Joe Biden has always valued governance, an amply funded public sector that works on behalf of working people, lifts those who've been left behind uh, to have a chance to make their contribution uh, to the economy's success, to the, to the economy's growth, and they benefit from it um, uh, proportionately. And so I think those kinds of linkages are very much alive and well. Uh, but I guess from where I sit, this looks uh, like it has uh, Biden's fingerprints on it most of all. Uh, and may have surprised some people who um, were not, were, did not see Joe Biden as being the transformational president uh, that he seems to be. Um, uh, and uh, we'll see how that works out. But let me, let me close by asking you the, the question that everyone is asking, Jared, how much of this American Jobs Act is negotiable, if any? You know, the only thing I've heard the president say is there are two things that are non-negotiable. One is inaction. Inaction is non-negotiable. Uh, he is open to negotiation. Um, and if uh, members of Congress have ideas that get us uh, to, the, to the same types of places that you and I have now been discussing for a half an hour, and I hope that you and our listeners understand the importance of, of those destinations and how, how, how critical they are to not just the, economic, uh, the economy's growth, but to that growth reaching uh, the middle class, lower income families, uh, uh, communities of color that have been left behind. If members have other ideas about how to get there, um, our administration and this president is all ears. What he won't negotiate uh, around is any notion of inaction on these issues. And I think the second thing, and we talked about this in the context of uh, helping to pay for the plan, is he's been very strict that uh, tax uh, increases will not hit people under 400,000 in, mm -hmm. uh, in, uh, in, in, in income. So uh, uh, aside from those two, uh, he has made clear that he's open to negotiating. Well, it's a very exciting time. Uh, you've got a lot on your plate, Jared Bernstein. Uh, we appreciate so much your taking time out for the uh, Bill Press Pod and all of our listeners uh, to let us know uh, what's in this plan, how important it is, uh, and what the prospects are, and what it would mean for the American economy uh, if uh, we can get it through Congress. Jared, thanks so much for your time. Good to talk to you. My pleasure, Bill. And that's it for today's edition of the Bill Press Pod. Thanks so much for joining us. It's so good to have you with us. Now take care of yourself, stay strong, stay safe, and then come back and see us on the next edition of the Bill Press Pod.
You can find cars like these on Auto Trader, like that car riding right your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.